Welcome back to 10,000 No's. We are sporadically re-releasing some of our past episodes throughout the summer, and today's guest was one of the chosen ones. Because these episodes are older, please forgive any out-of-date references. These re-releases have been chosen because they are either some of our most heavily downloaded episodes, relevant to some current event, or just a conversation with someone we deem to be a badass that we felt should be reintroduced to our newer listeners so that their pearls of wisdom are not buried forever. Either way, we hope you enjoy. Here it is. What we do here is go back, 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 back. It does no service to creating value for people where I came from if I won't say where I came from. And so nobody thought any thought this movie was going to work, and it did. One of my greatest struggles as a journalist is that I'm an emotional person and I'm a sensitive person. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Guys, this podcast is built on the premise that hearing stories of struggle from people who most of us just think have it made is a way for the rest of us to realize we're not alone. If you've already subscribed on iTunes and you like what you hear, thank you. And please share it with others. You can take a screenshot of your phone while you're listening, post it on your social media, tag at Matty Dell on Instagram or at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook, email it to friends, shout it from your rooftop, beat people up on the street and force them to listen, whatever. If you can leave an iTunes review, boom, I love it. Either way, I appreciate the support. I'm glad you're listening, even if this is your first one. And I hope you're as inspired by my guests as I am. You can lose your Twitter account, you can lose your website, you can lose your email list, but if you have your relationships, you're gonna be just fine, even though you don't necessarily believe it. My guest today is Jordan Harbinger, former Wall Street attorney, former two-time kidnapping victim, yes, you heard that right, and former host and co-creator of the monster podcast, The Art of Charm, which he has just recently left to go on his own with The Jordan Harbinger Show, which is quickly turning into yet another monster podcast with millions of downloads. I caught Jordan at a time where he is in the launch phase of his new venture, so it led us to cover some topics which should now be familiar to listeners of 10,000 No's, Invention, how to look at a sudden shift in circumstance with excitement versus fear, and how to build an empire by following your bliss. Here he is, Jordan Harbinger. So yeah, I feel like the the story of how we are even having this conversation, how it came about, is is very good place for us to start, uh, just because sure. it. It actually speaks volumes about you, whether you know it or not. Okay. Um, so I was doing it, uh, uh, one of my interviews with with someone, and I do it here uh, on a laptop. And in the middle of like after like an hour of recording this amazing interview, I look down and my computer, which was fully charged, is just off. It's it's gone dark. So total nightmare. Yeah. Luckily, the guy came back. We we did it again. I got a great one. It's coming out in a couple of weeks. But uh, in the interim, I called Apple and I was on the phone with the representative and I just offhandedly said it went down during a podcast. And he happens to say my buddy has a podcast or his mentor. I don't know what your relationship is. And yeah, I said, oh, okay, friends, cool. You know. Friends. Okay. Yeah. So 
So I'm thinking, okay, yeah, his buddy's got a podcast. He's, you know, got like two listeners or whatever. He's like, yeah, I should hook you guys up. Okay, great. So while we're on the phone, he looks me up, sees that I played lacrosse. So he played lacrosse. We get in this conversation. And by the end of the, of the, the conversation, I am somehow connected to you via email. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he texted that- me. He's like, I'm on a support call with a guy. On the podcast, and I was like, "Shouldn't you be focusing on that right now?" <laughs> which is awesome, and and which is actually another great lesson for listeners. Which is, you know, you start to do something, you know, whether it's launching a podcast, whatever it may be, and doors kind of open and people appear when you least expect them. Like the last thing I expected was to get to another guest, let alone a guy that I come to find out because I, di- I didn't know who you were when he told me about you. And mm. then I I looked you up and I was like, holy crap, this guy's not just doing you know, a podcast. This guy is podcast. I mean, you've been doing this for over 10 years. You've done close to, I think, close to or over a thousand interviews. Uh, really amazing. And so you can kind of give the guests a little bit of your recent storyline, which I've now come to know a little bit, which is you've started the Jordan Harbinger show, which um, I've really been digging it. You're just, you're very open and honest. And, um, and it sounds like you're kind of in the middle of a whole, uh, a whole new thing. So I'd love, love to even just start there. Yeah, sure. I so I did the art of charm podcast for 11 years and then just recently have cut loose, or I should say have been cut loose from that company and brought the vast majority of the team with me. And it was kind of like this panicked, what am I going to do now? This is so horrible. My life is over. I mean, I didn't, well, not really that dramatic, but damn close. And I realized now that I'd had, now that I have the Jordan Harbinger show, which is just a few weeks old, we already have over a million downloads so far. And I just really was worried that, oh, the audience isn't going to find me. And, you know, I have to start from scratch. And I realized I'm not really starting from scratch. I have the team. I have the skills that I built over 11 years. But most importantly, to your earlier point about Steve connecting us while he was on the phone with you during a support call, I have the relationships. You know, I just got done speaking to a large group of of entrepreneurs on the, their mastermind call. I did a show that has several thousand downloads or you know, 30, 40, 50,000 downloads per episode yesterday. And I'm doing these shows all the time and calling in favors and getting friends and booking guests for the Jordan Harbinger show. And I realized that this process that I have now that's causing or helping us, I should say, regrow the show to where it was before is this is the process. These are the relationships that I built over the last 11 years. So you can lose your Twitter account. You can lose your website. You can lose your email list. But if you have your relationships, you're going to be just fine, even though you don't necessarily, even though you don't necessarily believe it. And the reason that this is important is because there's actually a lot of people that make excuses about what they're going to do or when they're, I should say, when they're going to do the networking thing. Well, I've got to finish my prototype first. Well, you know, I've got to figure out how to run my business and scale it before I can start networking. And there's all this sort of procrastination, but it's believable. It's believable procrastination, right? Because we really believe, hey, look, 
I actually need to do this first. But if you think about your motivations for putting off networking until later, either it's because you don't realize what it is and you don't know you need to do it, or you think, I don't really know how this is done. It looks slimy. It feels weird. I don't like it. I'm just going to do other things first where I have a, where I know I have to do this, right? I know I've got to create a product. I know I've got to create a nurture sequence email funnel, or I know I've got to record podcasts. So uh, since that's a defined known and this whole networking thing is kind of this unknown that makes me feel awkward or socially awkward or feel social pressure, or I'm going to face rejection, I'm just going to back burner that. But the problem is you have to dig the well before you're thirsty. If I'd reached out now after leaving the Art of Charm and reached out to all these relationships and said, hey, I need help, and they said, hey, I haven't heard from you in five years, what do you, what do you need? That would be a, a different result than talking with somebody who I spoke with three or four months ago and saying, hey, I'm in this pickle right now, can you help out? Because now they're just helping a friend. Whereas before, they'd have to decide, do I want to engage with this person? Do I even know what they're doing? Are they just reaching out because they need something? They have to make all of those decisions. And you want to avoid that. And the way that you avoid that is you dig the well before you're thirsty. You create those relationships before you need them. It's just like a spare tire in the trunk of your car. If you put that, if you get a flat on the side of the highway and you go, yeah, you know, I should go get a spare tire. It's too late. But we're happy to do that with our relationships because it seems kind of like a soft skill or a nebulous thing. And so we just don't really prioritize it. And that's problematic. It's very problematic, and the the real problem is you probably won't see the problem. You won't see the consequences until it's too late. You'll see the consequences when and only when you actually really need something, and then people go, yeah, man, you know, we haven't talked in like three years. I don't really know you, or uh, I'm not comfortable with this, or they just don't respond, and you wonder what the heck is going on. So you got to... You really do have to dig that well before you're thirsty, and I understand the 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 desire to procrastinate. I understand all the all the rationale behind it, and I'm here to tell you that the only reason that my business is going to survive and be better than it was before is because of the relationships. It's the one thing that can't really get taken away from you. It can't burn down. Your relationships can't get uh, removed by a court order or stolen from a storage unit. Um, they can't get hacked, right? They can't get taken yeah. away by a ex-wife or a business partner. They're, they're yours. They're the one thing aside from your skills that aren't going anywhere unless you well, let them. The, yeah, I, I mean that's that's amazing, and I'm I'm actually I'm definitely guilty of that of, of going like ah I don't want to network. It's you know exactly what you were just saying. So I'd love to pick your brain about how you view it so that it it doesn't feel that way to you. But also what I was going to say was, you know, coming into your world late and really coming to you when you were already started up with the the Jordan Harbinger show, I would hear you talking about this and I would think, well, why is he worried? He's still him. You know, it's right. still, it's still, he's still the guy that, uh, that did the art of charm. Like what, who cares? It's just a different banner, but uh, you know, from my outside perspective, right. it seemed like, oh, this is actually an opportunity for you to do, you know, maybe there were things you guys were doing over there that weren't fully you. And now you get to kind of fine tune it and really make it your own. So it's an opportunity. It seems like there's upside, but there's not 
as much downside as I was listening to you. I'm going, huh, why does he think it's such downside? He's going to he's going to be back on top in a matter of, you know, not very long. And it sounds like that's happening, which is great. It is. It, but I didn't know because I never had to put my relationships to the test. It was always like, hey, can you help me with this? Sure. No problem. Now it's OK. I got to reach out to like 180 people and coordinate this. It's like a book launch, right? And I've never done anything like that or a product launch, only it's sort of make or break because I have to rebuild the audience that I had at the Jordan Harb- or at the Art of Charm on the Jordan Harbinger show. And I thought, what if people don't find me? What if people don't search? Other people said, this is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. And I said, great. And that's <laughs> in like a year or two. Right now it sucks. And they're like, yeah, I know right now it sucks. And I'm thinking, do you know it sucks or do you just <laughs> think it sucks? You know? Yeah. But, but what really helped was, again, to point to the relationships, there were plenty of people that said, hey, man, let me tell you something. This exact situation happened to me. Or, yeah, I understand because I got divorced. Or I understand because this other thing happened to my other business. And I realized not only are relationships great because people can help you promote your new crap, right? Like, that's great. Good. Promote the Jordan Harbinger Show. Thank you. That's really appreciated. What's also appreciated is the emotional support from from people that really know what I'm going through because they went through it themselves and they can say, yeah, I went through something like that two years ago and retrospect 100% the best thing that ever happened to me. It's really easy to listen to them, or I should say, I should say it like this. It's tougher to listen to your mom say, look at this as an opportunity, right? It's like, thanks mom. But if, if your friend right. who runs a business and had had the pretty much exact same thing happen to them says, no, trust me, I know exactly what you're feeling because I went through it and it is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. And then you hear that from five multi eight figure entrepreneur CEO badasses, you start to believe it, right? Because they know you and they know the situation and they know how it plays out. And the answer is you're set up to win. That's a better feeling than I read about it in a book. And that's a better feeling than, yeah, my college roommate says I'm probably going to be okay, right? These are real relationships that help a lot because this person knows me well. And it would have been just as easy, if not easier, for me to ignore all of those people over the last few years and say, I don't need this. I've got the art of charm. We got 4 million downloads a month. We're making millions of dollars. I don't need to talk to this random guy or gal. Now, I'm thank just so thankful that I didn't do that. And I did it because I believe in the concepts that we teach on the Jordan Harbinger show, like be always be giving ABG instead of ABC, always be closing, always be generous, give without the expectation or attachment of anything in return. And that was all, that's all fine and good. And I love those concepts and I lived by those concepts. Now I'm putting them to the test and I'm thinking, holy crap, am I lucky that I freaking took my own advice. I am so lucky that I practice what I preach. Not that I ever thought about not doing it, but People would say, how do you, you know, it's easy for you to say you're in this position. Well, now I'm in a position that's worse than many people who are starting a business in that I had something before and now I have to feed all the people on my team unless they're going to quit or leave. Right. So now I get to put it to the test. So now it's, it's really like, it's like a personal trainer that wakes up one day and is like, holy crap, I'm fat. What happened? You know, it's yeah. like Freaky Friday. They just ended up in some fat person's body and they have to get back to a healthy condition. Now they get to put their skills to the test. They don't get to, they don't have their client saying, well, it's your genetics. Well, it's easier for you. You're already in shape. It's like, nope, starting from the bottom, totally unexpected, had no idea this was going to happen. 
putting it to the test and it's working. So that's a By unique way, case study. By the way, sorry to interrupt of you. Course. Can I, because I've been so curious as I've been listening to you um, talk about it and you don't have to say it if you don't want, I don't know. I'm not trying to do any kind of gotcha moment. Uh, of course. What, what happened? What, what was the general gist of what happened? They were just going in a different direction or yeah, different. is that not something you want to get into? That's, no, it's fine. Cool. It's look, we had different visions about where the business was going to go. Um, I really didn't want to do dating and relationship stuff. I'm married. I'm 38. You know, I'm too, I've outgrown the art of charm as a brand. My team was really sick of working at that type of organization under that brand. And I thought, well, we can't leave because we have all this sunk costs and we've done all this great stuff and we can just sort of negotiate a split and then we'll steer the ship gradually in a different direction. And that's just not how it worked out. You know, the other guys there um, had a different idea of how it should shake out and they're going to execute that based on their vision. And that's fine. You know, go ahead. Is it fair the way it shook out? In my opinion, definitely not. But you know what? Um, it's, it's better for me now and I just yeah. didn't think it would be because had I struck, had we done the deal that we had originally negotiated about the split, I would have been tied to that brand for years. And yeah. it could have just been a, it could have been the kind of thing where you're wiggling the tooth for three years until it comes out or you just rip the damn thing out. Right. Yep. And it became like the band aid that had to come off two years ago, but I went, oh, it's a lot of hair stuck to it. Hold on. Right. So it's better that it got ripped off in this sort of painful way than, than having it done slowly over a period of years. That just would have been brutal. But I thought that it would have been easier because the known was going to be less scary than the unknown, which is kind of where I was a few months ago and where we are now. But looking yeah. at how fast we're rebuilding, looking at how happy the team is to have just been surgically removed in a way, it, this was definitely for the better. I would never have chosen this option myself, which is why it's even better, because I would have delayed and prolonged and dragged this thing out forever. And so it ended up being just a better way to do it, it even though it is more painful right now looking at all of the circumstances and hearing the circumstances of all these other entrepreneurs that I've spoken with, this is a clean break is the way to do it. There's just not a good way to have a divorce business or personal that lasts for years. Just somebody's got to bite the bullet. Yeah. I mean, you, you're reminding me, I, I interviewed someone recently um, who I mean, actually, I, I hate to plug my own show, but you should listen to so many of the interviews I've been fortunate enough to do are all about, I mean, that's the, that's really the theme of my whole, this whole podcast, 10,000 knows. And this guy who, you know, walked, he, he woke up one morning and his wife divorced, you know, was like, we're done. Damn. And then the next day, his business partner said we should split. And basically it was what you're describing and it sent him, he said it ended up being, you know, the biggest gift he could have been given. And it's largely the way you're saying, it's like the bandaid was ripped off and they gave him what he probably didn't have the, the strength to do on his own. And then he was just, you know, free falling and, you know, opened his arms and caught wind, which is what you're doing. And to me, you know, you don't know me, so it really is is empty coming from me. But uh, it, it sounds like such a better situation for you now than what you. I didn't realize Art of Charm was all 
relationship stuff. I mean, it's like, why, yeah, why would you do that? You're moved on to the next the next section of your life and now you're in the driver's seat. Yeah, so. it, it was just making less sense for me, right? Because I would want to do a show with, like I did on the Jordan Harbinger show, I'd want to interview Bill Browder, who's in part responsible for these sanctions against Russia and Vladimir Putin's trying to capture him. And it's just like this fascinating story, but he's also a hedge fund manager who takes down Russian oligarchs. So where do you get that? And then it's like, I got to have that great interview with him on the Jordan Harbinger show. It's actually episode number three, but had I tried to do that under the other brand, it would have been like, great, let's relate this amazing harrowing story <laughs> somehow to like social skills and shoehorn this topic in there and then yeah. put in an advertisement for this program that I don't run that has to do, you know, that the company yeah. runs. And it was just like a lot of listeners were like, Oh God, I skip these commercials and you sound miserable when you're doing them. And I'm just thinking, no, I don't. And when you get a hundred emails saying, Hey man, you clearly don't want to be there anymore. And you're like, no, you're just misreading my, you're trying to read my mind that they're these people, people who listen to the Jordan Harbinger show and have listened to my voice for 11 years, they know me often better than I know myself in the given moment because they can hear it, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm doing the talking, but they're listening and they're saying things like, man, you know, I love these. You should do more of these. And I'm just thinking, oh, but now I'm going to take all this grief for interviewing Simon Sinek or having a boxer. Oh, dude, on the show. I, love, I listened to that and I love his book, Start With Why. Yeah, I, I haven't heard the new one, but yeah. Phenomenal, I read phenomenal interview. I mean, well, he did a great job. I'm not patting myself on the back, just to be clear. And you know, recently we had Jocko Willink on the show, uh, former SEAL commander and popular author, popular podcaster. And I didn't have to say, okay, great. All this discipline stuff, let's now relate this to social skills. It's like, let's just have the conversation and not try to shoehorn the guest into the brand. And I don't have yeah. to do that anymore because now the brand is just my name because I'm really uncreative at naming the show, first of all. But also <laughs> because then it can evolve with me. And I think that's an important thing to have in a brand is the ability to evolve. And something called – something – an old brand like the one I used to work under – really was so limiting. You know, I, I try to book a guest and they'd go, tell me why I'm a fit for what you're doing. Tell me right. why I should be on there. You know, we, I wanted to have Ray Dalio, the, the investor on and his yep. people were like, this looks great. And then they just replied a, a week or so later, Hey, look, we're not doing this. Um, I, you know, sorry. And then I thought, Oh, okay, maybe they're just busy. And then another friend of mine had him on the show and I said, what happened? And he said, yeah, it was really easy. You should just email this person. And I went, oh, well, they rejected me, even though my show's four times the size of yours. What the hell? And he went, yeah, that's really strange. But it, it's not a mystery because Condoleezza Rice doesn't want to be on the art of charm, right? It doesn't right. fit their brand. And I get that. I get that. And, and that became a big problem for me because my vision for the future and for my brand and for the show was this unlimited, really wide open, amazing conversations with people who can teach. Every episode teaches the audience something and solves a problem. Every episode comes with worksheets so people can apply what they learn. But, you know, if someone's talking about willpower or uh, neuroscience, to get them to then shoehorn their topic into another thing just to fit the title of the show just seems silly. And so that, yeah. that just reached a breaking point for everyone in the company. 
Well, let me ask you then, because um, I'm interested. I'm always, I seem to be interested in people's origin stories and kind of, you started this. So so you did undergrad at, at Michigan. Right. Uh, and then you also got your law degree there. Is that right? Correct. Uh, okay. And you, and so you started a podcast. I mean, I didn't know what a podcast was maybe four years ago is when I even knew what it was. You started your podcast was it 2006? Was it that far back? Uh, or, yeah, 2006. That's right. And, and what was at the time, how did that come about? Were you, you know, you went, you worked on Wall Street as a, a lawyer on Wall Street. Where were you working? Where I was working as an attorney on Wall Street and I was in law school when we started the show. And I had always been a decent student. So I'd sort of coasted through high school. And I don't mean coasted through with straight A's. I mean, it got by. And then I went to college and everybody was really smart, but they were drinking a lot. So I was just able to outwork them. Then I got to law school or sorry, then I got to wall street and we're outworking people. Wasn't an option. We were all working 20 hours a day, seven days a week, but also being smarter than everybody wasn't working because <laughs> frankly, everybody there was really sharp. And I, I wasn't really interested that much in being an attorney. So people who are naturally smart and had been thinking about these things and were better at paying attention and all this stuff, they were kicking my ass, man. And yeah. I thought, I'm going to get fired. They're going to figure out that I slipped through the cracks and don't belong here and that I'm going to get fired. And that's called imposter syndrome, by the way. I don't know if this is something you ever discuss on your show, but high performers almost universally think I'm the one who's doesn't belong here. I, they're going to figure me out. They're going to figure out I'm a fraud. It's a very common self-perception or self-image for high performers. But I didn't think about that at the time. I just thought, no, 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 but really, I am a fraud. They're going to figure me out. So my plan yeah. was I need to figure out how to work from home because if I work from home, it'll take people longer to figure out that I'm some sort of screw up <laughs> who doesn't belong here. And by that time, maybe I'll have figured out how to make myself useful and they won't fire me. That was my right. strategy. So right. I started talking to this partner named Dave who had hired me and was assigned to be my mentor. He, he was not interested in mentoring me, by the way, but he, he wasn't a bad guy. He just had stuff to do and he was never in the office. So one day I said, how come you're never in the office? Do you work from home? Thinking I'm going to get the magic combination of words that's going to show me how I can work from home and then, you know, execute my brilliant strategy. And he said, no, 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 I don't really work from home that much. I just don't do a lot of the billable hour stuff. And I was like, well, how is that possible? The way this law firm makes money is we bill in six-minute increments. What, what are you talking about? You don't right. do a lot of the billable hour stuff. What do you do? What do you do all day? And he <laughs> said, I actually just, I focus on bringing in deals. And I said, uh, yeah, sign me up. Where, where do I, how do I do that? And he said, well, you know, I go to jujitsu, I golf, uh, I play racquetball, I do the charity events. And I was like, okay, so tell me again how doing all of those things creates deals for the company. And of course, by creating deals, you get like a finder's fee for the deal. So this partner, Dave, he wasn't really worrying about his billable hours because he was bringing in deals, which made him more money than the billable hourly bonus that he would have gotten for fulfilling his hours. And the bulk of what he was doing, or at least a huge part of what he was doing was, was kind of sounded a hell of a lot like hanging out. Right. <laughs> and I was like, hang on just a second here. How do I learn how to hang out? And it wasn't because I was lazy. I just want to be really clear here. I wasn't thinking, how do I do jujitsu and play squash and get right, paid for right. it? What I was thinking is, 
is there a competitive advantage that you have bringing in these deals that I just don't know about? And that's what I was interested in because I thought if I can figure out how to bring in deals, they definitely won't fire me because I'll be ROI positive, right? Right. My salary will be a drop in the bucket compared to me bringing in a million dollar law deal every law, legal deal or finance deal every quarter or whatever he was doing. So I wanted to learn that because I thought if I focus on that, then in five years when all of us junior associates are mid-level and senior associates and they find out they need to bring in deals to make partner, I'm already going to have a four or five year time advantage because I'm going to be like, yeah, I looked at this and I figured all this stuff out earlier. So I started studying body language, psychology, persuasion, influence, and that is what started to become my personal curriculum. And what I did is I took all the classes I could on making great first impressions and the Dale Carnegie class and stuff like that. And that led to deeper study because Dale Carnegie courses at the local YMCA or the Learning Annex those courses say things like look people in the eye and have a firm handshake. And that's great. But let me be real with you. Let's be freaking real with your audience. If people aren't giving you a million dollar law deal or people aren't doing business with your firm or you're not getting your manufacturing client or you're not able to book your guests or you're not able to met, you know, do this thing in your business, it's not because you're not looking people in the eye and you don't have a firm handshake. It's because people don't freaking like you for some other reason or they like someone else more. Right. So- I had to find that stuff out because glad handing and throwing business cards at people was not how real business was done at the high level. And there didn't seem to be anybody that could tell me or teach me that stuff. There was just kind of this like plateau where all of the, you got to put yourself out there. You got to have, you know, maintain connections. That stuff just turned into lip service and nobody seemed to have a plan for how to do it. And so that's what I wanted to figure out because I thought that's going to get me to the top of the law game. And instead it led to an entire niche that just didn't exist in the, in this current form, which is what we're teaching now on the Jordan Harbinger show, uh, and which we honed over, you know, 10, 11 years doing, doing the art of charm, brought a lot of those skills to the forefront. And the, the evolution of that is what we're doing now. That's really, really cool. Now, what about, uh, the actual like podcasting, how did you, d- did you start there or you were, I know at some point you had a, a talk show with on Sirius XM, but what came first and, and like, how did it go from that idea that you had of, okay, I'm going to study how to, you know, body language and how to bring people in and I'm doing it. You know, the end goal is for, my longevity at the law firm, how did that kind of um, segue into a show of some sort? And was it just you out of your apartment at that point? Or did you immediately go to XM radio? What what was the deal? Like, how did you transition? Yeah. So this, the radio show was an interesting little bit of networking in itself, a case study. What happened was I'd been doing the show for, I don't know, a couple of years at that point in time. Nothing, nothing serious. We had these little business cards made up, you know, the free crappy ones. And a friend of ours. But hang on a second. Go back. You've been doing the show for a couple of years. Like in what form? Like what? Okay. But, but like you just were like, I'm going to go get a mic and I'm going to go start. Like I, I, you're younger than me. So so I guess it was more your generation, but I didn't even know the term podcast. I mean, this is, this is a while ago. Right. So, so we started teaching the skills that we had learned from 
going out alone, practicing some of the Dale Carnegie stuff, reading a psychology book, trying to put stuff into practice. Because what I found was reading all these psychology books and these brain studies and these books on persuasion and influence, it was really cool. So I decided, let's go try some of this stuff. And what I found was a lot of people who had written about some of these topics, they had no clue how this stuff could be applied in real life. So I remember writing to persuasion or influence teachers or academics and saying, so I've been running around trying this and this and this and this and this, and I'm running into these problems. And the guy would write back, yeah, you've gotten further than I ever did. I just did a study on this that was under controlled academic environment. Or they'd write back and go, huh, this is really fascinating. I don't know anybody that's ever tried to take this persuasion concept and actually use it in something. And I go, uh, yeah, that's kind of the whole point, right? So- And I even got into like the dating stuff where it's like, oh, your body language, this, this is how you take up space and it makes you look high value. So I started applying all that stuff and I would reach out to those guys and say, hey, look, I'm applying this in this way and in that way. And some of these guys got back to me and said things like, look, man, I'm an internet marketer. I've got an ebook about dating and body language. I have no idea how to answer your questions. I just sell the book. You know, I wrote it with a friend of mine three wow. years ago. I don't have, and these are these are guys that you've heard of or may have heard of back in the day, especially, and they were just blatantly admitting that they had no clue how this stuff is applied. They were just selling a product. And I remember going to a party in LA. I flew out to LA, flew out to Hollywood. It was my friend's birthday party. And he was really well connected with all of these like dating authors and body language guys and all these pickup artisty guys. And I went there and I saw... I met and met a couple of friends. I met some great people, and then I saw a just a line of like shy, insecure, overweight guys in the corner, and those were the authors of all these websites and books I'd been following. And I went, now it all makes sense. The stuff, wow. the reason some of this stuff doesn't work is because these guys have never applied any of this crap ever in their life. They're just internet marketers. So once I realized that a lot of these guys had never tested any of this stuff, I was like, okay. It's time to innovate. It's time to make up our own stuff and stop banging our heads against the wall about why this and that and this other thing doesn't work. These guys just made this crap up so they could write sales copy and pay the rent. You know, these guys aren't using this. So I started to really focus on the content and develop new tools and techniques and utilize these things in practice. And that had just never really been done before. And, and you found you you found the podcast like that was something that was in existence at that point. Was anybody listening to podcasts back then? Not or? really. There were 800 podcasts in the iTunes store. And the reason we started the podcast was because me and my business partner at the time, my friend back then, we had been having the same conversation for freaking every day at a bar or teaching people this stuff. And we started burning our conversations, our recorded conversations to CDs because people kept asking us the same questions over and over and over again. So I would hand them these CDs and go, listen to this, come back in like a few days when you see us after you've listened to all this and we'll answer your questions. So we were teaching this stuff for free and we were recording it. And then I don't even know how it happened. One guy said, oh, you should totally upload these to the internet. And I said, I don't know how to do that. You know, where can I keep audio files online? There was no YouTube. There was no SoundCloud. And he goes, there's this thing called podcasting where you upload these files to a server. iTunes will list it. You just give people a web address. They can go play it on the website or download the MP3. And I thought that's so much easier 
than having a pocket full of burned CDs that I paid for. You know, this is ridiculous. Well, dude, this is why I'm asking you because you're like, oh yeah, we had the show. And I'm like, hold on a second. Like back then, I mean, I got, I think the first iPhone was what? Like 2005 or six. I've been explaining to my son who's 10. I'm like, yeah, we did not. I said, this was amazing when this thing came out. It was a computer that was in our pocket. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, you didn't swipe across before. You know, it was a different world. It's not that long ago, but it was a different world. The I mean, iPhone that's came, what, yeah, the phone came out after we had started the show, like a year after, because I remember going, wow, this is really cool. And then when they had iTunes on the phone, I said, wait a minute, is our podcast going to be on this phone? And yeah. that was when we were like, wait a minute, we this is exciting. If people can start downloading our show on their phone, this is going to be a big deal. And so yeah. we just kind of kept at it. And kept doing it. And as you as you now know, the vast majority of people play podcasts on their phone. And the vast majority oh, yeah, of people yeah, have I, smartphones. But, but I, now I'm too. telling you, man, I still have people now, you know, I'm a neophyte here. I started this this launched in uh August, I think, July or August. And, you know, this is you're like my forty something interview. And I looked you up and I said, Holy crap, he's done, you know, almost a thousand interviews. But people are still Right now in 2018, people still go, what's a podcast? Yeah. You know, not people in LA, but but like not just one person. A lot of people are like, wait, what's a podcast? I've never listened to one. So you really, really were at the forefront. I mean, I love that story and I love how it came out of, that's why I kept digging at you because I'm like, I love how it came out of something that you loved and I guess where I'm where I'm kind of connecting the dots is to go back to where you are today with the Jordan Harbinger show. You know, all you guys wanted to do was it's kind of the way I'm start I've started mine, which was you were just working something out with your buddy and trying to figure it out. And then you realized, oh, if we if we burn them on the CD, we can give them to people. Great. And then you realized, oh, there's a place where I could put them. They could just have them. Great. And it's not rocket science. And that's kind of you know, the point that I feel like I'm making over and over here to people is if you have an idea or an impulse or an itch that you just, you're just dying to to scratch, just go do it and don't worry about exactly how it's done. It, that, that stuff is easy. You know, that, that someone will tell you how to do it. Just follow the impulse, which is what you guys did. It's a, what a great story, man. I love that. I Thanks. love it. Yeah. I appreciate it. It's uh it's been Kind of a wild ride. We were we were we were too early, actually, coming into this. So, really? yeah. I mean, looking back on it, right? Like I should have started. Well, too early and to make it a business. I, it was great for me because I spent six years doing the show and learning the skill of broadcasting and interviewing, while it was basically impossible to make a decent living off of just podcast advertising. So yeah. we were forced to monetize in a different way. Because there were, we were, up until a couple of years ago, there, you'd be lucky to get an ad campaign. No matter how big your show was, you'd be lucky to get an ad campaign. And there were a couple of ad networks, but, you know, you had to have a massive show and usually they owned it, the network did and all this stuff. And I was just like, ah, you know, I'm going to record an interview every week and just kind of do it, put it up there, generate leads, work on the other business. Then I, I found a passion for interviewing, worked on the skill for a really long time, several years now the Jordan Harbinger show actually has something to show for it. But before, it was just kind of a, you know, when I was doing the old show, it was just kind of a thing that I did sometimes when I felt like it. 
didn't treat it like a business, which was actually a good thing because had I treated it like a business, I would have been very disappointed in the results because nobody was listening to podcasts. You'd, you'd ask a group of people in a major city like LA, do you, do you listen to podcasts? And one person at the table would even know what it is. Now you can ask almost anybody what a, if they listen to podcasts and they'll say, yes, very rarely will you have somebody say, I don't know what a podcast is. And when they do that, usually they're like 60 and they right, go, oh, right. it's I've heard of those downloadable radio shows. I have a podcast on my phone, I think. Right. And they just and they don't realize, you know, kind of what it is. But even even recently, I was staying at an Airbnb and the couple came out and said, hi, how are you? You know, we we're staying in like a back house and the couple that owned the house came out and said, hey, want to just chat? good to have you guys here as guests. And I said, they said, what do you do? And I said, do you know what a podcast is? And they looked at each other and they said, come on, we're not that old, are we? And I said, you'd be surprised, <laughs> you know, three, four years ago, I could have been talking to a group of millennials and said, do you know what a podcast is? And half the group would have been like, not really. I think I've heard the word. So yeah, no, I'm telling you people, you know, in that I know in their forties, some in their thirties, and then obviously, but, but like, you know, older than that, but even in their forties are like, Oh no, I've never, you know, never listened or they know what it is, but they've never listened to one. And then usually once they, they realize what it is, they go, Oh, this is, this is amazing. Okay. So it's like, I, I can have, I can have a choice of whatever I want to listen to right on my phone. It's great. But people just don't, it's still being discovered. So, um, but, but what you did when you're saying too early, where I maybe business wise you were too early, but I actually think it's so perfect is that you kind of you were able to get the the skill set and do it for all of the right reasons when it wasn't paying you, so that when it did translate, you you had a, a it sounds like a purity about you, and that's probably what the attraction was to your show. Yeah, we just it was just a hobby, so it was like make it good, have an interesting and authentic conversation. It just, it, yeah, it just wasn't a big deal, right. To have, it wasn't a big deal to do the show. I didn't have to shill products. I didn't have to be like, and we'll tell you the real secrets, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I, you yeah. don't have to do that. Um, and that became, that became really useful, frankly, to, to, to do that that way, to handle that that way, to have that ability to just create something kind of pure. People really appreciated that a lot. And I understand why. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've found that because my thing, you know, I'm, I'm an actor by trade. This is kind of this passion project that I've done. I mean, in a way, this is my own little personal masterclass of being able to, it's not unlike how you started. I've just... I enjoy these conversations. I get to pick the brains of people like yourself. And uh, it's, it's what I've found is that people really not a lot of knows when I've asked people to sit down with me because they realize that it, my intentions are pure, you know, I'm mm -hmm. kind of, and I, there's, there's a certain thing where people can detect, you know, they can detect bullshit. And when you're, and when you're being honest, they're like, yeah, yeah, man, I'll come sit down with you. Great. You know, let's, let's talk. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's not that it's, it's not that complicated. And it sounds like you did that. And then you've also, I mean, I'm excited for you now that you're, you're on your own. Cause it sounds like you kind of, you got into it and then it almost maybe got a little bit, you know, uh, 
jaded toward the end of that run there with with the old place, mm-hmm. and now you're able to take your. It's this is like a new kickstart for you. It's great. Exactly. Yeah. And and had I known. Had I known that this was going to shake out like this, I would have done it earlier. But I think, as we'd spoken before, it really is just a – it really is very useful, of course, to to know how things are going to shake out ahead of time. But you can never really know, and especially if you're you're thinking, I'm just going to start over. You think of – there's all this sunk cost fallacy that's just like, oh, man, you know, I can't do this. How am I going to do this? And it's scary, but – you're right. I was jaded. There's really no getting around it. That was exactly what it was. Quite jaded. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting for me to go back and listen to some of your stuff at the end of Art of Charm, now that I've just heard you on the Jordan Harbinger show, and just see if I can tell, you know, the difference between, uh, you know what I mean, just the level of passion. It'd be it'd be an interesting study for me. Hmm, um, interesting. And, and a question for you, just because... Uh, while we're talking about the unknown and the fear of the unknown and, you know, that can get the best of you and not let you kind of really blossom in a new situation. I, I heard you say something in maybe, maybe with uh, your, was it Gabriel, Gabriel Mizrahi? Is that his name? Yeah. Gabriel Mizrahi. Yeah. Okay. So you said something, you guys kind of joked about kidnapped or you were traveling abroad. And then I looked you up and I was like, it said, you've been kidnapped twice. Is this true? Is this, this really happened? And if so, you got to give me a little scoop here. Sure. What was the deal? Yeah. yeah. So, um, essentially I, I, I did get kidnapped twice. Once I was a young dude in Mexico, got picked up by a fake taxi essentially. And then the other time I was a little bit older and I got picked up by Serbian state security when I worked in Serbia because they thought I was a spy because that's, <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of, there's a various reasons for that. It's a long story, but essentially I had a scholarship or, or fellowship from the Department of Defense to go learn Serbian and that to their sort of unsophisticated security apparatus meant, oh, he must be a spy because they don't send <laughs> academics or scholars to us. And, you know, Department of Defense never does anything other than spy because, you know, we watch too many movies. So these sort of like bumble, I don't know if I can say bumble screw on your show. Uh, and <laughs> Yeah, you can. Bumble you can. I, I try. Yeah. Good. These bumble fuck like state security officers pick me up with a friend and they are just totally inept and they just do not believe that I'm not a spy. And I'm thinking either I'm the worst spy ever because I'm listed on websites and I'm showing up at the same place all the time and I work <laughs> at a language school or you guys are idiots. Which which explanation do you think is more likely? And it's like, okay, well, you know, I'm not sure they want to hear this. So I had to use a lot of the skills that we teach on the show, on the Jordan Harbinger show, persuasion, influence, correct controlling conversations, things like that. I had to use that to create an opportunity to escape. And that's what happened. And, you know, we got roughed up a lot. It's not like this 007 thing. It was more like rely on their stupidity and create opportunities for them to be more careless and then get the hell out of there, which is kind of what And how, how long in, I, mean, I know there was two, it was two different situations, but how long were you held? And did you ever, did you think throughout the whole thing that this is it? I'm done. I'm gonna die. Sure. Or- yeah. There was there was plenty of that. Um, there Holy was plenty crap. of that. There was plenty of like, okay, this could happen, right? This could happen, and that that's not a good feeling. That's for sure. Um, but you have to keep your 
you have to keep your wits about you, as cliche as that sounds, because otherwise you can end up in a whole lot of trouble. Um, you, you can either decide that you're going to give up and, and you're going to let it play out how it how it's going to play out, but that's that is that is not good. That is not good. Your mind will ration, will gladly rationalize for you all of the reasons that you should just stay calm and relax. But that's not how that's not how you get out of a situation like that. You can be in a fake taxi and think, oh, that's fine. I'll think of something. The police will come for me. Oh, I'm probably not getting kidnapped. We're probably just driving around something. Either way, somebody's going to know where I am, right? They're going to come looking for me. They have ways to find me, right? You're gonna, your brain's going to do that because the, its other option is you're in so much trouble that you could be dying. This could be the end of you. You have to wrap your mind around that and you have to make a plan. That's really uncomfortable for your brain. So your brain will think of reasons why you shouldn't do that or why you don't have to do that. And that's, that can kill you in a situation like this. It can. Wow. So how old were you in the Mexico one? How old were you at that point? Um, in your teens, like that young? Yeah, I was 20. I was 20 at that time. Twenty. And then the other one was, was after that. So you find yourself back in that situation. Um, you know, you had said something the other day uh, that when I was, I was listening to one of your shows and you were talking about instability and you were saying how, you know, it's not it's not really applicable. People say, oh, well, you know, you were in Vietnam, so you could you can handle this, you know, the fact that you're out of a job right now or whatever it is. It's not really applicable. Each one is its own set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. When you found yourself back in in that situation again. Did you draw back to how you got out the first time? Did you, um, or was it like a completely new situation where you're going, okay, what are my circumstances now? Where's the exit sign? How am I going to do this? What what was going through your mind? And then kind of a follow-up on that, which is how have you pl- applied that, you know, those uh, techniques if you have to to even this whole situation with the show of leaving one show and going to the next one uh can you sort of trim that down i'm not even sure that what i'm asking yeah Uh, well i'm asking okay so you get you get kidnapped once you get out of it right right you get kidnapped again are you then drawing on the techniques you use to get out the first time and then i'm asking a a follow-up to that is this whole deal with your show going away and starting the new one, it's another, it's another situation where you're, you're finding yourself in new circumstances brought, brought about from someone else. And does it give you more confidence knowing, Hey, I I got out of being, you know, kidnapped twice. This is nothing for me. You know, what, how does your mind work to deal with these kind of stressful situations? Yeah, I think the second time I really did draw back and go, okay, you can't rationalize this, but I didn't have to. I didn't get into a fake taxi the second time and have to decide whether or not something bad was happening. It was really clear that something bad was happening. So it it became quite easy for me to figure that out in real time because I was literally being taken away by state security officers with a friend of mine who were accusing me of espionage. So that was pretty easy to, to get around. The other part of it was... You know, I I was significantly older. It was years later. I knew that this was a possibility. You know, I had gone through this idea in my head, of course, a few times, and I knew last time that 
that there was a problem. The other thing is I always, one of the things that you can take away, if you're ever, if you ever think you're being kidnapped or taken away from someplace, you never want to go to what's called the secondary location. So the secondary location is the proverbial place where no one can hear you scream. So if you're being taken away in a fake taxi, you don't want to go to the place where the taxi driver is going to take you. You want to stand and fight right where you are. That's where you statistically have the best chance because that's where the person who's taking you has the least amount of control. So after that second kidnapping, I was like, okay, or abduction or whatever you want to call it, arrest, I knew that, okay, I've got to figure out how to make a stand. If this ever happens to me again, because I finally, you know, I got training for this. Um, It was like stand and fight or stand, make sure that they can't take you down to where they want to take you because then they have all the control. And that's a big, that's a big problem. That's an actual problem. You know, you will end up worse off if you go with your kidnapper to wherever they want to take you. It sounds bad to stand and fight, but it is going to be, 10 times worse when they've got you exactly where they want you because then there's they they control the situation. Where they get you, where they originally get you, that's where they have the least amount of control. So you want to stay there because that's where your odds are best. And so I learned from that second thing to, to get that training and, and really, because I thought, holy cow, okay, this is something where I, I, I had been paid lip service and I thought about this, but I had never really taken a class. So I, I actually took a kidnapping, anti-kidnapping class after that because I thought, all right, um, this is something that happens to me, I guess. So I'll probably <laughs> be ready for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. And, and my translation of that into your situation from leaving the art of charm and starting your own show is kind of, I think you kind of did a version of that, which is stand and fight. You didn't, it doesn't sound like you left the other show and then, I mean, maybe I'm wrong on the timeline, but it doesn't sound like you went away and, and stopped what you were doing. It sounds like you immediately said, okay, let's come out with the next show. Is that right? Or am I off in my timeline? Did Um, you kind of, I did not wait at all when I had to do the new show. I had encouragement from my network. I had encouragement from my team and everyone said, don't even skip a beat. Just yep. start doing it. And they, cause one of the guys that encouraged me a lot was Norm Pattis over at podcast one. He's one of the most successful businessmen in LA. He owned Westwood one, the radio station and he owns podcast one. And he said, look, I've seen these things get hashed out in courts and stuff like that. Um, like you're going through, it's not going to be quick enough to matter. Forget about it. Move on. You're, you've got the team. You've got the talent. You can rebuild it. If this is the worst thing that's ever happened in your business, then then you're lucky. So I said, okay, great. So I just they immediately signed me for a new show and help are helping me build it up because he thought, look, by the time if you decide to even pursue this against uh, the company you used to work for, by the time you win your suit, it's going to be so late. Nobody's going to, there's not going to be anything left of the show, right? The yeah. show. It's, it's the equivalent of being in that back room screaming and nobody hears you. I mean, exactly. It, it's, it's kind of like, you, it's kind of like your house is on fire and you're arguing over whose job it is to put it out. And it's like, maybe you should put that out first, but that's not how this is going to work. What's going to happen is it's going to burn to the ground while you're sitting there arguing. And then finally, when a judge says, you know what, this is George's job to put out that fire. You go, great. I have a smoldering pile of ashes here. Nobody cares about, you know, I had to put myself back on the map and because people were looking for me after I left the art of charm, the show just abruptly stopped for weeks and then I was just gone. So the move was get back on the air immediately. And that's what I did. And how quickly were you able to transition? How I didn't even it- skip one single episode of the show. It was Thursday, 
the last episode ran out, I had a new one out by by Tuesday. That is awesome, man. That is that is great. It sounds like you have a great team around you. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And you did you did I hear on one of did you meet your wife through the the whole podcast? Is yep. that she used to be a fan of the show, and so I met her on Twitter because she you know it's like who to follow, and she's like oh I'll follow this person, and then she thought my tweets were funny, and I saw her follow me, and I was bored at an airport uh, on the way to my friend's wedding. And I started talking with her and I was like, oh, this girl's cool. And so we met up before she moved to Nor- NorCal from L.A. Uh, we really clicked, kept hanging out, kept talking. Then I moved up to NorCal as well because I was sick of L.A. And it's funny. I have a pattern in my life where I, I do stuff that's just long overdue. I had, At that point, I'd been so sick of L.A. for years and I thought, I'm going to move up north to San Francisco. I'm going to move up north to San Francisco. And I just never pulled the trigger. And then I met Jen, my wife, and I was like, I'm going to do it. And then I just moved suddenly, almost suddenly, I should say. And it's like, oh, I should have done this a long time ago. I am always a little bit slow off the ball when it comes to changes because I focus a lot on building business and getting things done. And so whenever these big changes do happen, I try to remember that all these sort of reluctant changes that I go through, they're always good for me. They always have been good for me. It's And usually I'm the last one to get the memo. Because even in this case, all my friends are like, oh, finally, you're starting your own show. The whole team was like, finally, you're starting your own show and you're leaving the art of charm. It's about time. And I thought, what are you talking about? This is traumatizing and I feel so awful about it. And they're thinking, what are you worried about? You should have done this forever ago. It's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. I'm always the last one who kind of gets that memo. And I found that that's really normal, right? When Whenever we're going to undergo this crazy change, honestly, it's normal to be the last one. It's, it's normal to kind of be the last one to understand it because you're in it, right? You can't really read the label from inside the jar. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you, you also, you know, you just from having heard you interview people, you're an analytical person by nature. So you, it seems like you're, uh, you're cerebral and you're coming at it from a bunch of different angles. And, and so maybe that makes sense. The people around you see where your gut is taking you before you do, because you're paying so much attention to, uh, kind of seeing things from everybody's perspective. Right. I'm zoomed in so far. I'm looking at how do I grow the art of charm? And what people are saying is you don't, you get out, you start a new thing that doesn't have the baggage attached to that old branding that fits more about what you want to do and what you want to talk about. And I'm like, no, it's going to be too hard. Give me the answer I want, which is some magic trick to grow outside of this brand. And that didn't exist. This had to happen. The split had to happen, right? It had yeah. to happen. I just didn't want to do it because I figured, but I spent so much time on the other one. It's like, it's time to leave. It's like graduating high school and you're like, I don't want to go. It's like, no, 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 college is going to be great, but I don't want to go. I'm having a great time, you know? No, college is going to be great. But we don't, imagine you just don't know anything about college. You don't have movies that show how awesome it is. You just think, when I leave, it's going to be terrible. I'm going to be back to the beginning, and that's not how it is at all, especially with the relationships created over the last decade. It's just a much easier comeback. I think I mentioned in the beginning of the show, the Jordan Harbinger show already has a million downloads. It's only been three weeks. You know, it took us to get that, to that level at the art of charm, it took 10 years. Yeah. 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 You, cause you are, yeah, you already are the brand, whether it was called, you know, people, if people were tuning into that show, they knew your name. Now here's your name and 
It, it's just a, it's a natural fit. And I'm sure that your listeners, you know, if you think about it, your listeners were evolving with you mm-hmm. as they were listening to you. They may have been, that would be interesting for you if you haven't already done it, just reaching out to some of your listeners and asking, it, were they feeling the pangs of like, man, we got to move on. We got to move on. Yeah. And they're probably probably yeah. grateful that you did have this opportunity to move on and they could follow you. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's been a ton of people that have written in and are like, finally, the brand matches the show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We've gotten dozens and dozens of emails that are like, oh, yeah, this, to me. This was always the Jordan Harbinger show. It just had a funny name. And that was a problem, actually, for a lot of listeners because they were saying things like, how do I tell... I was getting a lot of email like this. How do I tell my friends to listen to your show? No other hosts get that, right? If, If I'm saying, how do I get... Nobody writes you and says, how do I get my friends to listen to 10,000 no's? Well, it sounds interesting. You tell your friends it's interesting. They look it up and say, cool, I'll give it a shot. But if you tell your friends to listen to The Art of Charm, they get insulted. They say, what? You don't think I'm charming? No, thanks. I'm married. Oh, this sounds like a bunch of douchebags, blah, blah, blah. And then you have to explain away the branding. Nobody says, hey, you should listen to The Jordan Harbinger Show. Why? Does it look... I don't, I wouldn't, why would I be interested in that? You don't get pushback because the name doesn't have this emotionally loaded negative stigma attached to it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, uh, I'm, I'm very happy for you. I don't, I don't, you know, it's funny. I don't know you, but just in getting to, to talk to you and hearing the story, uh, I, I, you're, you just, you sound like someone who's breathing fresh air again after maybe having been uh, kind of suffocating a little bit for the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. So. And the thing is, I bet you there's a lot of people listening that are in that same boat, but it's the whole boiling frog effect. You don't notice how stifled you are because it's been, in my case, it took 11 years to get to the point where everything broke, right? So a lot of people are less stubborn than me. Maybe it'll happen quicker, but the boiling frog essentially to if people don't know what i'm talking about it it's i think it's a myth but it's like if you put a frog in boiling water it'll jump out but if you put a frog in regular water and you slowly boil it, it'll stay in there and die and i don't know if that's true at all but the truth is the analogy works in that if you stay around a brand or people or whatever for long enough you just think well this is the way things are it's not that bad cuz your brain has all this time to rationalize it but yeah. if you jump into something and it's like, whoa, this is so clearly not a good fit for me, which is where a lot of friends, family, and listeners were. They were like, why do you have this name? Why do you call it your show that? Oh, because we sell these other products and they have to do with dating and picking up girls. And they're like, what? What? Why? You just interviewed a hedge fund manager. You just interviewed Shaquille O'Neal. You just interviewed uh, so this CEO. Why? What are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah. So the incongruity and the incontinuity in the branding was a problem for a long time. It was a problem for the team. It was a problem for me. It was a problem for the guests. And it was a problem for the listeners to share the show. We had word of mouth, but it was almost, it was like an underground thing. You had to tell your friend to listen 10 times and then it was kind of whispered. And then it was like, well, we can't listen to this in the car because we have our other friends in the car and they're going to laugh at us. I don't have that problem anymore. And so that's been, that's been really funny because I'm looking at, how the hell did we get a million listener or downloads in three weeks? And the answer is because people can post it on Facebook. They can share it. They don't have to be embarrassed anymore. So asking for support and getting it became a lot easier than it was in the past. Yeah. 
Well, congratulations. I know you're a busy man, so I don't want to, we're a little bit over an hour and I don't want to, uh, I don't want to keep you longer than I can. Um, but I, I really appreciate you sitting down with me. Everybody listening, uh, you've heard it, the Jordan Harbinger show. It's, it's on, uh, iTunes, it's wherever podcasts can be listened to. And where else can they go, Jordan, to, to get your, you, sure. more of what yeah. you do? The Jordan Harbinger Show, any podcast app, iTunes, jordanharbinger.com. And I'm at Jordan Harbinger on Instagram and Twitter. So hit, hit me up and listen to the show and let me know what you think. Awesome. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to 10,000 No's. If you haven't subscribed to us yet, please do. So each week's episode is automatically downloaded to your computer or phone. And if you like what you heard, please help us get the word out by sharing it with your friends and family. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Thanks.